Generally Good Advice podcast with Naomi Mong. I'm your host today, and we have a guest. His name is John R. Kim. Woo! John, would you be Hello. able to introduce yourself to us? Yes. Uh, hi, I'm John. Uh, I'm a student at the U of I. Uh, currently a junior, but just got back from serving two years in the Korean military. So a little bit older. Uh, I was born in Iowa City, Iowa. Uh, grew up 50-50 Korea in the States, so been all over the place. Uh, yeah, I study computer science and economics. Nice. All right, so today's topic is going to be kind of um, similar to a different episode that we had earlier, but it's going to be about the Asian American identity, especially for the both of us. Um, but we're also including this topic of social justice and how our identity kind of affects our view of social justice. So we're going to start off first. Um, what's your background as an Asian American, John? Hmm. So for me, um, I was born in the States and then I like bounced back and forth between Korea and the States a lot. Um, but I think predominantly, I would say the earlier half of my childhood, I grew up in the States in mm -hmm. Iowa. And then the latter half of my childhood, like middle school and high school, I predominantly spent it in Korea going to international schools. Oh, okay. Um, and so I have, I have a very mixed background as an Asian American where I was kind of a third culture kid in both the States and the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, but I've been, I've spent a year living in Reno, like in Nevada as well. Mm -hmm. um, and even when I was in Korea, it was like two different parts of Korea. So yeah, really all over the place. What was it like, like in Iowa growing up as an Asian yeah, I think, actually, interestingly, um, there was like a pretty solid or decently large Asian community, or at least a Korean community in mm -hmm. Iowa City, which is mm -hmm. where I grew up. And so I wasn't like the only Asian kid at my school. Oh, that, that happened to me later. But at least during my elementary school years, like I remember I had a decent mix of like friends who were Asian and friends mm -hmm. who were like other ethnicities. Mm -hmm. And so um, I never really saw it as like, I was like an outsider, um, okay. at least like earlier on in my childhood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I was growing up in Iowa City, I think I first encountered what that felt like after I moved. Um, yeah, when I was in Iowa, I think like the concept of race hadn't really like formed in my mind yet, and mm -hmm. so it was. Yeah, I, I never like it never registered to me. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I never would have expected a lot of Koreans to begin Iowa City. Yeah, it's so random, but I feel like there's just pockets of Koreans like in certain locations, and Iowa City just happens to be one of them. Do you know if there's a reason why there's like a pocket of like Koreans in Iowa City? <sighs> I think they flock to like where Koreans happen to be, and mm -hmm. so like if there is a community in the first place i think more people or more koreans are inclined to come mm -hmm. if they do choose to come to the states mm -hmm. and so i think once a pocket like is there it just grows naturally mm. because of that tendency um I, I, I can't say why i would say in particular but i think it might have been like church related too where there's just oh. pockets of like where there where there's a korean church people kind of like Okay. flock to that and so because i remember there's a korean church there that in that city which mm -hmm. is not which doesn't exist in every city so mm. yeah that's interesting because for burmese people mm -hmm. so okay so just to preface i'm burmese to the rest of the world but within burma or right. myanmar there are different ethnic groups mm -hmm. And so my ethnic group is Chin. So I can't say this for all Burmese people, but especially for my mm -hmm. um, ethnic group, Chin. For Chin people, um, we have pockets of that, like that in the sit in the U.S., but it's based on kind of like jobs and factories. Mm -hmm. So they tend to target these like smaller town um, places, like Maryland. I have tons of cousins there. Mm -hmm. Battle Creek, Michigan, which Ooh. I'm pretty sure no one really knows <laughs> where that is. I've been to it. It's a small town, right, for sure. Yeah. It's, like, really small. Um, and I, there's, like, a huge community there. And so, like, for us, it's more on the jobs, and then the church forms around it. So it's, like, mm -hmm. really interesting, because, like, for us, it's explained by the jobs, mm -hmm. but also kind of a little bit about the weather, too. Because mm -hmm. um, the weather, 
they prefer kind of a little more muggy, hot areas. Right. And so, surprisingly, there's not really that many places among the South Mm -hmm. other than just Texas. Right. Um, But California is one. Maryland can get kind of muggy and hot and humid, which is why they like it. And Battle Creek, I don't know if it can get muggy. It does get muggy and hot, I think. But, yeah, it's like they have, like, small pockets. Mm. So, for us, it's, like, it's interesting because we're we're, it's based on um, factory towns, Mm. kind of. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's yeah. why I was just asking because I was just curious. Maybe it's campus towns. Because, like, Iowa City is also, like, a, you know, the University of Iowa is there. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm thinking, like, where we're at here. And that, like, those are my only experiences, mm-hmm. really. So, like, maybe. Interesting. All right. So, um, kind of along with your background as an Asian American. Yeah. Because you've bounced back and forth between the two. Yeah. Um, do you consider yourself more Korean or American? <sighs> Yeah. You can give a ratio. I asked myself this question. <laughs> I think if I had to choose one, I would say that I'm American. Okay. Um, but it's weird because I feel more Korean than a lot of Korean Americans that I know. Okay. And I feel more American than pretty much all the Koreans that I know. Well, mm. yeah. And so... Yeah, it's like we talk about like what gen are you? You know, like Gen Zero, Gen uh, One, yeah. Gen Two. I'm I'm always like I'm some point five, like in the middle. <laughs> yeah, and so it's like hard to say, and, and for that reason, like it's hard to meet people who have like the same not 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 like exactly the same background as me, but even like a similar background as mm-hmm. me. Um, yeah, I think it's yeah rare that I meet someone like that. Mm. Are you, do you consider yourself like 1.5 or 2.5? I don't know. What's, what's the one? Is one like you... Okay, so um, first generation Asian American is you were born in Asia and yeah. kind of lived throughout most of your life, life there and you, and moved, you moved, here, moved here. Kind of like, you're, it's like your parents, right, kind yeah. of. Like right. they grew up there and then they moved here right. and then they had us. Right. Um, so if you're born here... Right. Um, you're a second generation. Right. But 1.5 is where you kind of were, you were born in Asia, lived there until like maybe like age of like 8 or 10, like where you can kind of remember the culture. Right. And the, like living there and being adapted to that. Yeah. Uh, and then moving to the U.S. Right, right. So it's kind of like, it's that weird where like in you're, between. you were, you lived there but not really. Yeah. And you moved yeah. here. I think I would be 1.5, but the story would be flipped, where I was oh. in the States oh, in my childhood, okay. and then uh-huh. I moved to Asia, oh, and then now okay. I've come back. Mm-hmm. And so, maybe a little bit opposite of what most people would consider their well, Gen 1.5. Yeah, but you would be like. technically considered yeah, 1.5. but that's what I would classify okay. myself as. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Is there, can I ask, like, is there a reason why you kind of moved back and forth? Yeah, so, um, I was... Well, we were in, my family was in Iowa because my parents were finishing up their doctorates at the University of Iowa. Mm-hmm. So that's why we were there. And then we moved to Korea afterwards because of their jobs, mainly. Mm-hmm. Um, so during that, like the early years of my life, when I was like zero to three, I was actually in Korea. I went to Korea almost as soon as, as, soon as I was born. Um, and then my grandparents actually took care of me for a while because my parents were so busy with mm-hmm. their education. And mm-hmm. then... I moved back before I started elementary school and then uh so yeah and after so after they finished we moved back to Korea this was like middle school start of middle school for me end of um elementary school and then I did a couple years at an international school in Korea and then um it was my plan the original plan was for me to go to the states for a year um live with a like a host family family mm-hmm. friends mm-hmm. and then um finish middle school in the states and then from there apply to like a boarding school to go to for high school and then just stay in the states um and so that was the original plan so i did that for a year i went mm-hmm. to nevada um lived with a host family it was not fun <laughs> um and um didn't get into any boarding schools oh, so i went sad. back to korea yeah so I went back to Korea, um, then went to another, a different international school there mm-hmm. for four years, and then came here for university. Mm-hmm. So that's been like the back and forth of my life. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
I'm interested. Since you kind of experience education on both ends yeah. in Korea and the U.S., like, for you, what's, like, the differences you've seen? And maybe <sighs> even also, like, similarities, too. Yeah. Like I, just, I don't know what Korean yeah. schooling is yeah. like, so... So I can comment on both Korean schooling and then international schooling Mm because they are very different. Mm -hmm. Um, Korean schooling is very intense because I think for a lot of Koreans, especially when they're younger and growing up, um, life is from the moment that they start going to school, all that all that they're told is how important it is to get into a good university. Mm. And so their world becomes centered around getting into a good university Mm -hmm. and so you know they'll go to school and honestly starting from like late elementary school they'll start going to academies until like 7 8 9 p.m and then as you get into like middle high school like sometimes academies will end at like 10 or 11 and you spend the whole day um first at school and then going to an academy afterwards what do you learn what's the academy so it's kind of crazy because korea you know it's like a public school system but Mm -hmm. Basically, the academy is your school, and school yeah. your school is just like a placeholder. Like you just go because that's what's like official, uh-huh. but you don't actually learn there. You learn at the academy. Oh, yeah, interesting. And so money plays a lot into this because if you can afford to go to better academies, then people think that oh, you have a better chance of going to these schools, mm-hmm. uh, these better schools. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it's really interesting because like. Both my parents are college pro- professors, and so they tell me, like, sometimes, like, you get students who, you know, get into this really good university, and then they come, and then they just don't care. Like, they don't know how to study on their own or how to motivate themselves, oh. because, like, their whole education was only about getting into mm-hmm. this college. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, but what now? Mm-hmm. And sometimes students just really don't have an answer. Mm. surprising like, like they don't have like a passion yeah okay. like of their own or drive of their own mm, okay. and so it's kind of like surprise surprise you know like if you have a system like that mm. it's like bound to be the case i guess so yeah. Yeah. there's that and then from the international perspective i think it's very well i think it used to be more like the u.s schooling system like mm-hmm. it had like we had like ap and stuff like that and yeah like a 4.0 grading scale mm-hmm. but Recently, at least in Korea, and I think China and other international schools too, but I'm not 100% sure, they've been trending away from that and more towards, um, like, UK schooling with, okay. like, IB. Do you know oh, that? yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. So now, like, instead of having GPA, it's all out of bands, out of, like, seven, mm-hmm. um, and they go with that program, and so mm-hmm. it's becoming steadily more of that area mm-hmm. and that, for those yeah. who don't know who are listening yes. could you explain that system yeah so ib stands for Inter- international baccalaureate and it's just another education program similar to i guess ap in the states mm-hmm. um and so uh, it's just very well defined uh, you have to take like a broad spectrum of classes and if you want to get like a diploma you have to take a certain number of High level classes and standard level classes, which is, yeah, I actually don't know what the AP like actual comparison would be, but like I guess it's the difference is like between taking AP classes and just regular classes. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I think it's a little bit more rigorous mm-hmm. than AP. No. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, because I I just I I haven't taken AP, so I can't speak from experience, but mm-hmm. like having looked at some of the tests and then just my experience in college generally i get mm-hmm. the feel that the program has prepared me for college better than some of my peers no i definitely I agree like yeah. as an english teacher yeah like ap classes it's so interesting because i have students who are like oh ap classes are so hard and right. it's just like is this is a college like and i'm like in my head i'm like no because <laughs> ap classes only cover like Maybe the first month right. of like of your first introductory right class, right? Whether it's chem or bio or right. stats or even like English mm-hmm. classes, like it's so different. Like AP mm-hmm. classes, I don't think prepare enough. Mm-hmm. But I don't know because I had friends who like they would take AP chem mm-hmm. and they're like everything I learned in AP chem was covered in the first three weeks, <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. Like I was like really like. A whole year of AP Chem, which right. was the first three weeks of 
your like interesting your first chem class in college right so i don't know definitely ivs yeah i would say definitely more rigorous from a teacher standpoint like for me i think like high school is a lot more difficult than college honestly even yes even now like the level and the pace at which we study stuff i feel like in some ways ib was faster and so i don't know it's on on i feel like it's almost airs on the other side where i feel like it's almost too rigorous because mm. i like i've done things for ib that i don't think i'll ever have to do for college level and i feel like it may have been a little too extreme so like for instance you know we have to write an extended essay mm-hmm. which is like a four thousand word paper mm-hmm. which is not a lot if you're like an English major, let's say. Yeah, yeah. But like for me, you know, from from what I'm studying, I'm never going to have to write a four thousand word paper doing no. computer science, no, you know? No. Um and like, yeah, some of the stuff I did for like IB English, like I had to give like a fifteen minute like presentation where you like you're graded on how eloquent you are and so you can't stutter Ooh. or use like the word um or pause. It has to be like a very like thorough and clean I like that presentation wow. which is like you know like nerve-wracking to prepare you know mm-hmm. and even in college I've never had to like prepare so much for something like that mm-hmm. um or like there's another assignment too I remember it's called IOCs for all the people who know what that means but it stands for individual oral conversation I believe but it's like throughout the whole year you study um different spe- like a different types of not books like you still you like maybe you'll do a unit on like plays and books and then like we did poems um mm. and then you'll have to out of like a whole selection of them you'll have you'll get tested or asked questions about like random ones and so you have to know all of them and be able to analyze them on the spot wow. and have like a 20 minute conversation uh-huh. analyzing a random thing that you studied like with your teacher and you just have to have a conversation about it and it's wow. like, I've never had to do anything that stressful in college, let me tell you. <laughs> I kind of like that, though. Yeah. Because I think that actually prepares people for the real world a little bit better. Yeah. Because, like, if you think about it, like, with your jobs, you have to interact socially. Right, yeah. Right? And, like, even the office job, you still have to learn how to interact and make presentations. Yeah. And put it in an engaging way where you emphasize the important parts and you... Um, even make a presentation right. that is like physically appealing um, to the eye, right. and so I I think that's actually really great. Like I don't know why the U.S. schools doesn't have that because <laughs> like my speech class I teach speech, which yeah. is why we're doing this podcast. Right. But my students don't know how to talk without saying um or uh or mm. like or you know. Yeah. Like in all of the speeches I grade, it's always like try not to say like every other <laughs> sentence. Like, they would talk, like, kind of like this. And it's just, like, so... <laughs> frustrating. Like, frustrating because it's, like, do you talk that way with other people? Like, yeah. how do you how do you live with I that? I think language is tr- maybe trending in that direction, though, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's... That IB system is kind of how international schools... Yeah, are all them. run in Korea these days. They, I think they've... Om- I think almost all of them, if not all of them, have switched over mm-hmm. to that program from AP programs and more US-style mm-hmm. classes. Um, since... Actually, it's fairly recently because... Or, I guess it's been a little while now, but, like, when I was a freshman in high school, that the U.S. system was still, like, heavily in place, and Ivy mm-hmm. was kind of just breaking in, but now they've, like, fully transitioned mm-hmm. the U.S. system out. Uh-huh. So now I can say that, yeah, international schools in Korea, at least, very okay. different, very different. Okay. educational experience. It's like going mm-hmm. to school in the U.K. Okay. as opposed to the U.S. Uh-huh. Yeah. Dang. That must have been an interesting experience. Yeah, it's interesting, because I realize now that I've never, well, apart from one year in middle school, I've never been in, like, a U.S. public school system. Oh, or like uh, apart from elementary school yeah, like yeah. beyond that but mm-hmm. i think what i remember from there was i just remember feeling like it was fairly easy oh the u.s school yeah system? like yeah. not to like i'm not trying to make myself sound smart i promise but like just in comparison to the level at, at which international mm-hmm. schools are being taught it mm-hmm. feels like the pacing felt slower mm. um so you yeah. know 
Okay. Um, so that's it. I, I was just very interested in that topic because, yeah. I mean, I'm an educator, but yeah. I've also just... People have always talked about international schools in Asia, mm. and I just never knew, like, what, what they those are. really were. Yeah. And, like, because it's basically, you speak English there, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, everything's taught in English? Yeah, everything's in English. So, some schools have, like, policies about speaking other languages. Really? At school. Oh. Yeah. Well, because, yeah, I think the tendency is, like, you, people just want to be talking in their native tongue, mm-hmm. and so for a lot of students at international schools are not like me like a lot of them are like born in korea and their parents mm-hmm. just have the money to f- be able to afford to send them to an international school and mm-hmm. so um yeah actually like in reality i think those policies are mostly for teachers or like honestly to make students a little bit more aware about inclusivity to make sure that you know we're not excluding people by the language that we choose mm-hmm. to use but yeah i don't know Okay, so I just learned something new about Korean schooling mm-hmm. and all that stuff. It's crazy because, I don't know, not to say that like American like schooling is not amazing. Mm. I love teaching in public schools, mm. but it's crazy to think that like even in elementary school, you stay at school learning until like 8, 10, 9, 10 p.m. at night. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Because your whole life wraps around school. Yeah. So even for me, I'm thinking like how can you even socialize? And, like, have downtime and, like, be yourself, like, your own personality. Yeah. These are all qualms I have about Korea. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I've heard from some of my roommates mm. about that. But um, kind of going along with this whole Asian-American identity, um, when you were either in Korea or here, um, did you face any stereotypes based on how you looked or, like, I mean, primarily it's how long we look, but yeah. any stereotypes against being Asian-American. So like I said before, I think when I was in Iowa when I was younger, that concept wasn't like formed in my head yet, really. And so I, there's like no comment about that part of my life or before. But starting from when I came to Korea as a middle schooler, since then I think I've faced stereotypes every time I've moved. Mm. So like when I first moved to Korea, it was that, I was too American, like not Korean enough. And so like, it'd be like little things, but Mm -hmm. kind of interesting because like, there are certain things that are like really popular in Korea. Like for instance, like soccer, like like, lots of Korean guys like to play soccer. Mm -hmm. And so like, I had like never really played before. So it was like, oh, like you're different, you're weird, Mm -hmm. you know, because you've Mm -hmm. never played. And also in Korea where um, like video games and playing video games is a lot more like social activity and like, all the guys kind of do before it was like oh you've never heard of this game like what the heck you're so mm-hmm. like out of touch or like mm-hmm. you know, yeah you, yeah and so immediately like i felt different mm-hmm. and so i think i for the couple years that i was at that middle school the stereotype was like oh yeah he's like a foreigner even though he like looks the same it's like he doesn't have the same like cultural background as mm-hmm. us mm-hmm. and that's kind of how it felt mm-hmm. um and then I got to experience the other end of the spectrum because I moved back to the States and mm-hmm. I was in Nevada. And this time I actually was one of two Asian kids at my school. Wow. <laughs> yeah. My middle school is pretty big too, if I remember correctly. So yeah, that was really interesting. And also, you know, to be fair, like it didn't help that I like fit like all the stereotypes at the time. Like I was like a scrawny Asian kid <laughs> who wore like really nerdy glasses and like was really good at violin, you know, like, oh. I, like it's like it's like all the stereotypes like wrapped up in one, you know, that was me. So like, I'm like, okay, yeah, to be fair, yeah, but I remember like just the silliest things people would stereotype, or people would assign like these things as to being Asian that had nothing to do with being Asian. Like for instance, like my middle school started at seven for some reason, mm-hmm. like God knows why so they early. decided to do yeah. that, but. So my bus would come around at like 5.40 or like oh 6 goodness. or something. It was ridiculous. And so I would sleep on the bus because like I'm sane. And then mm-hmm. I would always have... Uh, so Reno's the predominantly white. I don't mm-hmm. think... Yeah, so... Yeah, I always have like these Caucasian kids like making fun of me for sleeping on the bus. Mm-hmm. And then they was like, oh, such an Asian thing to do. But like in my mind, I was like, how is this Asian? And... Mm-hmm. Why, why are you making fun of me for sleeping on the bus? 
So, yeah, I just remember a lot of small instances mm-hmm. like that where people yeah. would be like, anything that I would do that would be different, like, people would say, like, oh, it's because he's Asian. But then I'm like, it's just me. Like, mm-hmm. not, nothing to do yeah. with, like, yeah. being Asian at all, you know? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and I think people expected me to be, like, good at math and, like, good at playing, you know, good at instruments and, like, being smart and all that stuff. Everything, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And again, like, to be fair, like, I, me being the person that I am Mm -hmm. did not help because I actually do fulfill a lot of those stereotypes. Mm -hmm. So I felt sometimes, some of the times I felt like, oh, or at least at that time, at that point in my life, I felt like, oh, maybe they're justified in thinking that way. But then I was like, but I know in my head that not all Asians are like me. Mm. So, you know, just because I happen to fit the stereotype doesn't mean that it's, everyone yeah so yeah wow yeah. dang that's that's crazy i i don't know when you said like when you were describing how like you got labeled it was like that's so asian for sleeping in the bus i'm like thinking in my head like what the heck <laughs> like why yeah that's the response i still have thinking about it now yeah. but in it's past. interesting because i get that a lot too as the only Asian teacher in my school that teaches English. Like, already in that, I defy a lot of stereotypes because, like, oh, you're good at English. Mm -hmm. You're actually good. You don't have an accent. And you don't speak, like, funny or something. Mm. Like, you actually have complete, mature, intelligent senses for an Asian. And I'm like, (laughs) what the heck? Like, I'm an English teacher. I was educated in this. What do you mean? Like, I speak well for an Asian. Okay, thank you. Yeah, (laughs) no. I actually encountered that in the army. Oh. Yeah. Because I was serving for the Korean army, but Mm -hmm. um, for those of you who know what it is, I was serving in the KATSA program, which stands for Korean Augmentation to the U.S. Army. Mm -hmm. So I was working with U.S. soldiers in a U.S. unit. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's i heard i can't tell you the number of times i've heard the phrase like wow your english is so good and i'm like mm. what do you mean my english is better than yours like, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah so oh, man it's just crazy like because i've never encountered that stereotype in america because mm-hmm. i think in america people generally don't look at asians and think like assume that that person is bad at english mm. not like generally speaking like you know if you go to the mall and you like buy something people aren't gonna think that you don't know how to speak english yeah it's yeah, not yeah. like a surprise yeah. if you can speak fluent english yeah but when i was in the army in korea like because of that expectation that people had mm-hmm. um people were always very surprised like oh wow you speak really good english mm. um yeah which was like interesting to me because i like had never experienced that kind of stereotype from Americans before mm. but I guess like something about being in a foreign country yes. makes them assume yes. that have a different set of expectations mm-hmm. actually I would I would admit that like I have been like very surprised at certain like Korean celebrities English when yeah. I hear it uh-huh. and I'm like oh actually they don't really have an accent oh. which is like I was like I'm kind of surprised but that's because like I know that they were born in Korea and right. like Korean is the national language, the main language I've spoken, so for them to not really have an accent present and to have really good grammar, because I know, part of it's also like, since I'm an English teacher, I know English grammar is terrible. Right. Like, English grammar is so hard to figure out. Awful. And even like, sometimes I get confused by some grammar rules right, too. Right, yeah. But, like, to have an international celebrity, like someone who's Korean, born and raised in Korea to actually be okay in grammar and speaking yeah. was actually a genuine surprise for me. But, I mean, like, I think it's also, like, in context, you kind of do get stereotyped for not having good English right. in America because, I mean, at my school, it's not even the students who do it, but sometimes the teachers as well. Mm-hmm. Some of the teachers, like, they think they I'm new, which I am. That's my second year working there. Mm-hmm. But they're like, oh, like, what do you teach? Do you teach math or science? And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, that's so stereotyped. I'm that's like, no, the, I teach English. Yeah, that's the subconscious stereotype. <laughs> yeah. You know? Like, people aren't even aware that they stereotype in that yeah. way. Unless you point it out yeah. to them. Yeah, and it doesn't help that a lot of the Asian teachers in my school do teach math or science. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's only, like, two, three other Asian teachers that don't teach math or science. Uh, yeah. And they te- two of them teach music. 
Right, which okay. kind of goes along with a little right. bit of Asian stereotype. Yeah. Not as much, but still. But yeah, still a little um, bit, yeah. Like that we're good at music and yeah. it's orchestra and, and singing, I think. Yeah, or, which no, is... Singing. Yeah, the yeah. typical, like... Yeah. Yeah, that and then there's a one Asian teacher that does um, special education. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that like, he and I stand out in our field because right. we're the only Asians. Mm-hmm. And even in my department, it's pre- predominantly Caucasian. Like, mm-hmm. for me to be a woman right. and to be Asian. Those are, and, like, two things. Yeah, that... two things. And I have a, like, it's literally, like, sometimes, like, in our department meetings, it's so, like, odd and, like, weird to be there because, like, they'll get kind of a joke together. And then me and then one of my colleagues, um, he's African-American and he's, like, a male. The African-American male teacher who teaches English. So the both of us kind of get a little, like, separated in that sense because mm. just, like... We're not part of the majority culture, and we define those stereotypes where it's like an African American male can be a teacher, or like an Asian female can be a teacher, right? Things, or just like males in general are not really stereotyped to be teachers, too. right? But yeah, no, I've definitely yeah. been stereotyped a lot, right? For like, oh, you speak English very well. I'm like, that's because I'm an English teacher, and <laughs> I have to like. So I it's my this. It's, it's my first language, really, too. <laughs> Like, I did speak Burmese when I was younger, mm-hmm. but, like, that was, like, when I was, like, five or six. Mm. And then after that, like, once right. I went to school, it, yeah. the, I had this kind of language switch. Right. Same here. So, oh, really? Yeah, because I knew a lot of Korean uh-huh. when I was younger, like, when I was, like, three and four, and then I forgot it all. And then oh. I learned English, yeah. So my parents always tell me, like, wow, you used to be so, so good at Korean, and now you suck. <laughs> no, um, my like, parents tell me that, too. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, no, I want to be good at Korean now. Mm. Do you, do you, are you trying to, like, learn Korean to gain back that kind of part yeah, of your identity? I think not actively, but just being in Korea for two years definitely helped me a lot. Because mm. um, just living with the other Korean soldiers, like, they, they always talk in Korean to each other. And so mm-hmm. I ended up learning a lot. Mm. Um, but yeah, but I'm losing it now because, you know, oh, you don't use it. US, yeah, you don't, yeah. especially, like, I think non, not your mother tongue, like, you lose it if you don't use yes, it. Yes. Even if you're bilingual, I feel yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Wait, I'm kind of curious. I know this is going a little off topic with our podcast right now, but what was it like to serve in the Korean army? Because, I mean, I just don't know really much about it. It was interesting. Um, I think this might relate to, like, yeah, being mandatory and having to go sucks, obviously, Mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons. Um, But Korean army culture is actually just really toxic. Mm. Um, I was fortunate to be in the Katsa program because it's actually very different and separated and a lot better in many ways. Mm. But for like regular, but we still have to go through the same training um, as everyone else, all the other soldiers. And in those five weeks of training, from what I saw just in that short period of time, mm-hmm. I think if I had to do two years of that, I would have gone crazy. Because mm. um, it's all about seniority and who was there first even not even among like officers or people who are doing it as their career Mm -hmm. but people who are just doing the same service as you it's Mm -hmm. like if you got there a year earlier you just like mess with and order around the people who just got there wow and it's just it's this whole hierarchy so Uh like if you're if you got there like a month before the like because um soldiers come in every month Mm. so if you got there a month before someone underneath you like mm. you boss them around really it, it's crazy That's like crazy. it's so hierarchical and i just i felt so bad for the newest people who were working at the training center that we were mm-hmm. at because like their names would just be yelled across the intercom like wow. all the time like hey you do this do that hey where the heck are you wow. like come here right now like just yelling and screaming and yeah and i think people think that it's justified because they went through it and so it's just like this vicious cycle yeah where yeah and i'm sure not every unit is like that but mm-hmm. like based on what i saw in the, the training center and based on you know other people that i talked to i think that that is predominantly the culture mm. which is sad um <laughs> but then funnily enough like i think the reason why the katisa program is better is just as sad in a different way where it's like people don't um, like bully each other or harass each other in the same way because mm. 
we all feel slightly discriminated against by U.S. soldiers. Yeah, yeah. But, and, or not, not even discriminated against necessarily, mm. but just separated. Yeah. And so it's kind of like a, oh, like band together because yeah. we're separate kind of mm-hmm. feeling. And so it helps build a sense of unity for a bad reason, but like mm-hmm. it helps build a mm-hmm. sense of unity. And so it's a lot more tightly knit, I guess, than mm-hmm. and less like, I order you and more like, oh, we're just, you know, we're in this together, Mm. suffering together kind of feeling. Um, But I don't think that's the case with regular, Mm. like, rock army. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that was my experience. Mm. Um, Could I ask, like, what kind of... Because you were there for two years, right? Yeah. What did you have to do? So it depends. And everything is based on lottery because um, basically Koreans... The Korean people thought it was really unfair that certain people get to do certain jobs or certain things even if they're more qualified Mm -hmm. because of like for the sake of equality and what they mean by that is like they think like oh someone can be better English because they had more money to go to a better academy yeah so like if you're better English you might be doing these types of jobs and it's unfair because what about people who don't have money that's kind of the logical progression Mm -hmm. and so everything is lottery based but I ended up um serving in really interesting roles. I was working in the Equal Opportunity Office in the Army, okay. which is their anti-discrimination office, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do, like, what are called, we call them command climate surveys, where we kind of survey people and get their feedback on how leadership is doing within that particular unit, and if they have any other comments or things that they want to share, and then leaders will read that report, and then um, they can make an action plan to give, like, to give to their higher leadership the, mm-hmm. the, on how they're going to address those issues. Hmm. So we just kind of help managing a climate and try okay. to make it better. And then also we deal with, you know, specific people who come in and complain about this, that, or the other, if they have like a legitimate case where they feel like they're being discriminated against. Mm-hmm. And then if, you know, it is legitimate, then there's a whole thing that happens where we process the complaint and then it goes to legal and then, oh. yeah. So, you know, if you get discriminated against in the army or you feel like you get discriminated against, like, you know, there are tools available to you. So that's, I was working off. That's actually pretty good. Yeah. That's, so I learned a lot about that's really good. kind of what we're talking about, actually, a little bit. Yeah, like, yeah. identity and, uh-huh. like, socialization and racism and discrimination. Like, I did that as my job for, like, two mm-hmm. years. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Dang. I, that's kind of, that's pretty fortunate that you kind of had that job, too. Yeah. Because... I mean, I just never knew kind of what do you do in the Korean army? Because I don't know. I didn't know that people had to serve the Korean army until I came to like college mm-hmm. and suddenly got yeah. became friends with all these Koreans. Yeah, and then they're like, oh, they're like, say, like, um, like Korean army, Korean army. Like, like what, what's the big deal with the Korean yeah. army? And like, I didn't know you had to serve. Mm, yeah. And it's just, it's interesting because I feel like it's the only, is it one of the few countries or the only countries that, Still institute, like the, that rule. There's a couple others like, um, like Israel, I think Singapore, mm. a couple others I believe, but yeah, not not too many these days. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I remember like it was always like a hot topic among my students of like, yeah. will the U.S. ever bring back the draft? Ah, uh, because they're like doubtful. I don't, I don't want to serve. Like, like I don't want to do that. I know like, army recruiters act like there's not enough people in the army, but trust me. There's enough soldiers in the army. <laughs> but I'm actually encountering more and more. Yeah. Um, as I get older, like more people, and a lot of my students are actually going to the army too. Interesting. So I have quite a few number of guys who are going yeah. to the army. Interesting. Um, and so I'm kind of just like, wow, I didn't see that growing up, but there's more and more. Yeah. So. It's a viable career path, honestly. Oh uh, yeah. I looked at it for a while. Yeah. But not, but not all soldiers are as lucky as me i guess to be doing something like interesting or even what i would consider meaningful it might be mm-hmm. meaningful to them but like yeah some soldiers like all they do for two years is they practice building a bridge and tearing it down really like they do that over and over again um because that's just like the exercise mm-hmm. and so it's like it's all about prepping for war like training for war right mm-hmm. potential war and mm-hmm. so um even the u.s units like they revolve around training exercises so it's like okay. you do a training exercise and then you rest and then mm-hmm. you do a training exercise and then you rest and then i know other units like if you work in like supply like you're just moving stuff literally physically just moving stuff mm-hmm. all the time yeah so like you could spend two years doing stuff like that basically interesting so wow yeah. wow 
Oh, it's crazy. Oh, okay. All right, so kind of transitioning from there, um, wrapping up this topic about kind of this Asian American identity within us. Um, I'm kind of curious, like, how has being an Asian American shaped kind of your life? Because, I mean, identity, even like our heritage, is very important to us. And yeah. It shapes how we view things, how we view the world, how we view certain topics, how we even are involved mm. in certain things, too. Yeah. So, for you, kind of just maybe, generally speaking, you don't even. You know, since we're talking about social justice later right, on, too, yeah. if you want to touch on that as well. I think being an Asian American, I well, growing up in Korea too, um, sh- has shaped my worldview definitely. Um, interestingly, probably only in negative ways, and what I mean by that is that I looked at all these things in Korea that I didn't like that shaped my worldview Mm. um so like the stereotype that like Asians are smart and like that in Korea like the way that people actually do focus so much on like education like in like to the loss of everything else like everything else be be damned like that is what they care about um that mindset like for me I thought that shaped my worldview in terms of like I don't want that to be my worldview. Yeah. I don't want that mm-hmm. to be the, the only thing mm-hmm. that I care about. Mm-hmm. Um, and just lots of societal issues um, in Korea also like has impacted me a lot. Like Korea has some of the highest uh, suicide rates, to, mm-hmm. like teen specifically teen suicide yeah. rates yeah. in the world. I think it's the third highest. Yeah. And the first among like OECD developed countries, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, like, mental health and, like, caring about that, like, for me, that was shaped by, like, those numbers and those statistics and watching people that I know go through those things. Um, yeah. And it's also shaped, like, my life in a bigger way because the reason I started studying economics is because I care a lot about economic inequality. Mm. And that first originated mm. in looking at... Um, elderly in Korea because surprisingly even though Korea is one of the wealthier countries now um like at least in terms of GDP per capita Mm -hmm. um the wealth like or sorry the the elderly are among the poorest among developed countries wow yeah and it's actually staggeringly crazy so many of them live um underneath I think the poverty line locally I believe not the international poverty line Mm -hmm. but yeah, and so that was like one of the big reasons why economic economic inequality was on my heart initially, um, and so it's shaped kind of what I'm studying and like how I view, um, yeah, that particular aspect of justice, but also just like it shaped my political views and um, how I view the world mm-hmm. and what like what's fair and what's not. So, yeah. But that's very interesting because I didn't know that about Korea and kind of the elderly. There's more too. I think like I could talk about like um, Korea is like one of the most. Um, sorry, I should be more specific. Korean men are some of the most prolific consumers of um, like prostitution, mm. and so it leads into um, like sexual trafficking, like human trafficking. Um, which relates to like the high child runaway rate in Korea, and mm. surprisingly, Korea is one of the highest. Um, like, Korean women get kidnapped and sent out of Korea in like really high numbers, and also vice versa, uh-huh. where other women are kidnapped from other countries and sold into, um, yeah, like are, mm-hmm. are trafficked into Korea as mm. well, mm-hmm. um, and so like that has like really shaped my views and defined how I feel about you know, that particular aspect of justice, like mm. human trafficking mm-hmm. and slavery. Mm. Um, yeah. Is there, like, a reason why that's the... I don't want to say culture, but... I don't know how to say it, but, like, yeah. like why... Especially Korean men. Yeah. Like, why why, why is it that? Like, I, I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm... Honestly, like, I don't know if I even have a good answer. I think, like, 
Also, I think this is changing slightly, and I'm not trying to like you know condemn like all Korean men, obviously, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I just hear stories about how it's kind of like almost accepted or like seen as like a rite of passage mm-hmm. to like sleep with a prostitute, mm-hmm. and so like you know people like in in college like or when you get your first job it's like oh you haven't done it yet like oh like mm. what the heck like okay we're gonna mm. take you right now like oh, that, wow. almost like a drinking kind of thing oh um which is like crazy to me um but yeah it's a little bit of like the dark side of korea that i uh-huh. feel like not a lot of people know about it's almost never talked about mm-hmm. um but yeah because I know that there was a scandal, a huge scandal recently mm-hmm. with a Korean celebrity yeah. from Big Bang. Yeah, yeah. Um, where he got caught with mm-hmm. a lot of different things. It was mainly prostitute, sex trafficking, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and so but, I think that's just like one example mm-hmm. of like, it's actually everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then it's just not visible. Hmm. Or if you don't know about it, it's not visible. And so I think it may come as a shock to the rest of the world but mm-hmm. at least to me like i was like oh yeah makes sense like mm. should have seen it coming you know yeah, like yeah. not surprised at all wow yeah that's crazy i honestly i never knew that was something that really existed because mm-hmm. i mean when i've heard of sex trafficking cases it was always the poorer countries right it was like thailand the red light district right, yeah um I did hear about Japan's Red Light District a little bit, just mm-hmm. because I had friends who went on missions in Japan. Right. And I went on missions in Thailand, so that's why I knew about the Red Light District. Mm-hmm. And not just Thailand, but, like, Southeast Asia, and that's mm-hmm. just because I'm from that area. Yeah. And so, like, I knew about that, those Red Light Districts and sex trafficking rings and stuff. Right. Um, but I never knew about Korea. Yeah. I was, like, very surprised. Cause, I don't know, my... And maybe this just is just kind of stereotyping, yeah. but... I, from the Koreans I met here in the U.S., yeah. you know, they're all church, like, they all go to church, they're yeah, you used all, to never like, very it. Christian, yeah. and, like, like, oh, Korea must be a very Christian country, and must be, like, yeah. like they, like, there are probably no problems with that, but yeah. I didn't realize until now. And the crazy thing crazy. is, like, Korea actually is predominantly Christian. Mm. Um, you know, it transformed, they call it, like, the miracle of the Han River with, like, the transition from Buddhism to Christianity mm-hmm. and also the economic prosperity that happened during that same time mm-hmm. period. But like, yeah, even with that statistic, I think it makes it even worse actually to know mm. that the country is predominantly Christian yeah. yet they struggle with like all of these things. Mm-hmm. But, and interestingly, I think, um, Korea is also like, it's one of the, like, it's very alarming how many people are falling away from the church or how many especially mm. youth don't believe yeah, yeah. Um, in what their parents believed mm-hmm. in anymore and so I think yeah like symptomatic I feel like it's kind of makes sense yeah mm. Mm. dang that's crazy that's very unexpected at least for me yeah cause I always thought like Korean culture wasn't like that I don't know maybe yeah. that, was, that was bad in my I, know, I think it's that. like oh the prim and proper expectation and I do really think that like for like maybe even the majority of Koreans like that might be true that stereotype might be true but uh-huh. there is also like the another side. yeah another yeah. side yeah mm-hmm. same thing with America too honestly yeah um so yeah you know. I mean I feel like social justice looks differently yeah. in both countries. Right, yeah. Because it seems like in Korea, social justice is more about the sex trafficking and prostitution. <sighs> yeah, you'd think so. But I think Korea is still, like, I would say, like, 50 years behind the states in terms of, like, social, um, like, framework or development. Mm-hmm. Like, they're a little behind, like, as mm-hmm. a newer democracy and stuff. Mm. And especially because... So... Specifically, like, we're talking about South Korea, but even if we talk about North Korea. So North Korea is the most ethnically homogenous country in the world. Mm-hmm. And South Korea is yeah. second. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So, like, as a country, like, I think we're... Korea is still very much dealing with, or, like, trying to learn how to not be racist. Like... I've heard. <laughs> yeah, like, it's, heard. it's, like, a very much ongoing process. And uh-huh. so even with, like, things that are commonly seen as like wrong in the states nowadays like mm-hmm. when we talk about race you know like mm-hmm. i think it's very commonly accepted that racism mm-hmm. is bad but in yeah. korea like not everyone gets that still mm-hmm. so and i think 
in America, like just recently, we've been kind of taking sexual like trafficking and harassment stuff more seriously. Yeah, like, with like the yeah. Me Too movement and stuff. Mm-hmm. And in Korea, like, it, I feel like it's still a ways off, even yeah. though the, it's like a problem that exists. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know when the country socially will get around to addressing mm-hmm. that issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're dealing with other stuff, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think. Yeah. A bigger issue that people care about in Korea that is slightly more visible and a little bit less heavy is like classism and stuff mm. with money mm-hmm. especially so they're trying to work out mm-hmm. that stuff too yeah yeah no I would say definitely US has those yeah. issues too yeah and it's interesting because like for me it's not I'm not trying to justify anything yeah but like it makes sense why the US is struggling with racism sometimes yeah. Because we're so diverse. Right. We're so diverse. And, like, for some people in the U.S., like, they meet people of a different color, of a different mindset, of a different, like, background and culture and everything. Yeah. And if you haven't encountered someone of a different whatever from you, then it's kind of hard to adjust. Right. Right? Where it's just, like... I don't know, if you grew up in a small town, right? Right. If you don't encounter too much diversity, right. when you go to a bigger like city, city. right, suddenly so much diversity and you're like, how do I handle this and right. how do I properly process through this? And so I can kind of understand why people are the way they are and yeah. the way they think. Yeah. Because maybe it's just how they've been like brought up and how right. much exposure they've had to people. Yeah, how you've been socialized. Yeah. Yeah. And then even just like for me, it's like it's not a surprise that we have a struggle of racism where right. like, people have um, racial prejudices and um, stereotypes for every right. every ethnicity. Right. But like it's not good. I'm not saying it's not yeah. like it's not bad, but like it makes sense why we have it. Right. Because yeah. we just have so much diversity. Yeah. And any any place we have a lot of diversity, you will have these struggles to right. reconcile it and figure it out right. and understand it. Right. Um, and it's yeah, it's just like interesting. I don't know. For me, it's yeah. just like this topic of racism is just like, you know, it's, I feel like it's always going to be a problem in the US yeah. because like we're just so big yeah. and there's oh, there's still more and more diversity coming in. Right. That's just going to be a continuous problem that right. we have. Like we'll still work on it, I think, yeah. as a country, but yeah. I feel like we'll have it still continuously. I think the flip side of that is that being so diverse makes us have to fight for like to be inclusive yeah yeah because we are so diverse as mm-hmm. a nation and i feel like sometimes it helps progress like it helps foster progress because you have to deal with yeah. it basically yeah. as opposed to like when i was in korea sometimes i feel like people you, you could live your whole life and never have to worry about the topic of race at all mm-hmm. because everyone is korean in mm. korea yeah yeah, yeah. And so yeah. yeah no it's it's definitely weird to me, at least growing up in the U.S. and not really having too much experience outside of the U.S., mm-hmm. to think of like, oh, like there's still countries out there that are very homogenous. Right. Yeah. Um, because I think I was talking to my roommate about this, but she said that like, even in Korea, like everyone looks the same mm-hmm. because there's a certain beauty standard you conform to. Yes. And there's a certain like, just standard. Yeah. way you just conform to yeah. which is usually brought by the celebrities or people like yeah. who are popular yeah. that you conform to and everyone looks the same like everyone looks the same like yeah. that's so weird yeah not just in appearance but like how they dress yeah yeah I can pick I can pick out Koreans in a crowd like even here in the states mm-hmm. I can pick out Koreans in a crowd mm. based on how they dress interesting yeah wow yeah and kind of going along with social justice I don't know what you want to talk about you can talk about anything with justice, yeah. but like... I mean, we were talking about racism. Yeah. Yeah. My passion is um, economic inequality. I mean, mm. yeah. That's mm-hmm. why I started studying economics, and that's, like, what I care about. But, I don't know. What, what are you passionate about? Or what what got you interested in... Social justice? Yeah, what aspect of social oh, justice? It's too many. <laughs> um, I think definitely social inequality, economic inequality, for sure. Because I see that a lot in my students. Yeah, I truly um, see that. Yeah. But I would definitely say, because it's hard because I feel like a lot of social justice issues, like, coincide with each other, or, like, are linked and, like, kind of, like, it's all messy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, for the thing that, like, I'm really passionate about with social justice is um, equal opportunity for mm. especially African Americans. Because, mm. um, like, it's really weird as an Asian person in general to be very passionate about... Um, 
African-American issue. Mm. Um, yeah, I connect very well with my African-American students. Oh, and it's so weird. Like, people are like, wow, like, why are you so close with, like, those dudes? Mm. Like, um, and, like, why are you just, like, so much nicer? I don't know. Like, I <laughs> just, like, love, like, I was always a huge fan of African-American literature. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Toni Morrison was one of my favorite writers ever. And then... I don't know, I took an African-American literature class in college. Mm-hmm. I, like, that's one of my favorite classes ever mm-hmm. um, at university. And I don't know, I, like, love listening to rap and, like, mm-hmm. hearing, like, the issues through them. Yeah. Because, like, rap is, like, especially, like, Lecrae kind of raps about, like, um, the black church and mm-hmm. um, black community and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I also, part of us, I grew up in the south side of Chicago, too. Yeah. So I have friends who are African-American. And so, kind of like injustices done against African Americans, right. like really like get me going because mm-hmm. I mean I grew up there with my friends. I right. grew up in that culture. I knew what it was like. Mm-hmm. I was never a part of it, right. but I knew like people who were part of it, and it was just like to me. I just like felt like they were like one of the most like just heavily discriminated people um, in the U.S. At least in terms of like there's violence against them. Um, there are still a lot of stereotypes against them and they, there's like this continuous like climate, like this cycle, this vicious cycle. Cause I have students who are African American, they're male and they're in high school they're, and they're in gangs mm-hmm. and they're doing drugs and doing a lot of different things and they just can't escape that like cycle because all their friends are doing it and which were taught by their fathers or lack of fathers. Like I right, have a lot yeah. of African American male students who don't have fathers mm. because I mean, just fathers weren't really present and or they have a lot of half siblings or step siblings and not whole families kind of things. And so for me, because I'm Asian American and I am not surrounded by that mm. and I have the like opportunity to study university and have a whole family and I don't have a not present parent or I have you know, supportive parents and supportive family because I have all this opportunity and just like things given to me, like I want to like help others who don't. And right. for me that was primarily African Americans, like right. in general. Yeah. So I don't know. That that was just very specific. Like yeah. I definitely like get um, riled up when it comes to like sex trafficking and like right. all these other social injustice, but yeah. for me the par- the primary one is like social injustice against African Americans, mm. especially within our country. Like all those shootings, yeah. like when um, like all those cases against like you know the white police officer versus you know like the black male victim usually. Yeah. Um, like those kind of always like gripped me right. a lot more. Yeah. And imagine. that's just because like right. for me that's linked closer to my childhood mm-hmm. and also like. Just something that, for some, I don't know. It's like God just gave me that. Like, right, yeah. Sometimes, like, I joke around, like, you know, maybe God put, like, an inner black woman in me or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But, like, I was just like, maybe maybe that's just somehow what, the way God made me. But, mm. yeah. That's that's kind of what makes me a little more into social justice. Mm. I can't say I'm, like, very passionate about everything. Right. Because um, I feel like there's so many, and so I think it's like good if we even like if each person kind of has one focus, yeah. So that like we can be praying for those things, and we can even try to do something within our own power to help those things, yeah. Um, because I think if we spread ourselves too much, yeah, into trying to fix all the social justice issues at once, it's just not going to be very helpful. As if every single one of us are trying to do and address these issues. And pray for them in our own ways. Right, yeah. I definitely think if you care about every social justice issue, you're gonna, you can care about it, but I don't think you're going to have the time or the energy to yeah. actually help solve any of them yeah. or to work to help people who are affected by Yeah. And I feel like even, like, I don't even know if, like, there's enough compassion in your heart to care about every single thing. To yeah. For sure. Because we're definitely, I think we're definitely limited. Yeah. I mean, like, for me, it's like, yeah. even though I try my best to be caring and loving, like, there is still a cap because I'm just human. Like, right, I'm yeah. My yeah. Heart, and so it's not easy. Yeah, definitely. I think you can feel sympathetic or, you know, have the quote-unquote, like, right view towards, like, 
all the social justice issues, but to actually care and be like deeply invested Mm -hmm. in them, I think you'd be lying to yourself if you could say that you're deeply invested in more than, you know, a few. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there like a social justice issue that you care a lot about? So I think the two that do it for me is actually um, like human trafficking um, and then also economic inequality. Mm. So those are the two things that do it for me. And kind of similarly related to um, like equal opportunity. I just, it just breaks my heart to see like people who cannot have even the most like basic of things where, you know, you're sick once and your life is over basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this, our system literally just lets you die if mm-hmm. you get sick, you mm-hmm. know, if you're, and if you're poor, yeah. um, and it, it just boggles my mind, you know, that we can be, I'm talking about America specifically, like, you know, I feel like I'm stealing this line from Sanders. I feel like literally like be like the wealthiest country in the world and have people dying, you know, of hunger because they got sick once, you know, it's like mm-hmm. ridiculous mm-hmm. to me. And America also has a country that struggles the most with like obesity. Yeah. I'm like, how? Why do? Why do obesity and starvation exist in the same country? Like, let yeah. alone like yeah. the world too. But like, mm-hmm. you know, just in this country, like. And I and obviously like as an economist, I understand that it's actually a distribution problem and it has to mm-hmm. do with you know all these different factors. But just morally, in my mind, um, I'm like, this is wrong. Like, mm-hmm. and not only is it wrong, it's not a matter of, like, people being, like, like, not, they're not being enough resources, mm-hmm. but it's just that resources are skewed in a way that some people have way too much, more than they could ever need, and people literally don't have enough to, mm-hmm. to live, you know, like, I think the concept of billionaires is kind of lost on people, Yeah. but, like, really, like, if you're Jeff Bezos... Just think, I'm trying to think about it this way. He could buy a yacht, a yacht, every day for 90 years and he would not run out of money. Wow. Yeah. Like, it, it, it's, like, I, I think it's helpful if you try to put it into yeah. something that's more, like, fathomable to yeah. you. Like, yeah. he makes more money in 10 minutes than people make in a year. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's like... Yeah. Yeah, no one needs that amount of wealth. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you, he couldn't spend it if he wanted to. You mm-hmm. know, you like you look at more like philanthropic um, billionaires, like you know Bill Gates and stuff. Like Bill Gates makes so much money that he can't give it away fast enough. You know, like he tries really hard, but that's just the nature of being rich. And I'm just like, mm. man, something has to, something has to give. Like something has to change. Mm. So. That's my passion. Wow. That's a good passion. And I think that it's great that you're pursuing a career with that, too. Or I don't know. Like, yeah, you're hopefully. studying it. Yeah. Who knows if yeah. you pursue a career. I think economics and to do this kind of stuff, especially policy, you have to study it for a longer time. So mm-hmm. it would have to be like, would probably have to go to grad school at the minimum, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it's interesting, too, because I think, um, like, I, I care a lot about, like, big scale mm-hmm. um and so like for me like doing it like being like a ground worker to like you know like working at like soup kitchens and stuff like mm-hmm. i've done it mm-hmm. um but for me i would feel restless doing like committing my life to like doing that kind of work because mm-hmm. i think like ultimately it's symptomatic like you're dealing with symptoms of like a root problem yeah, yeah. and so there is some sense of like, oh, I would want to work in policy. But then mm. for me, like even at like the government level, like, yeah, if we could solve it in our government, that'd be great. But like mm. really like the US and the poverty that we have here is like a very shallow level of poverty compared to like the absolute poverty of the world. Yeah. And so yeah. like at, at that point, I would be more concerned about that, honestly. Mm. And so then it becomes mm. like, well, can you enact policy for the world, you know, or, mm. you know, so... And that's a lot yeah. harder problem. That's yeah. a trickier problem. Yeah, there. that's like yeah. a bigger, you know, it's a whole different problem that you're yeah. talking about. But that's like what I care about. And mm-hmm. so it's been interesting trying to see like, okay, I care, but like how do I actually yeah. apply? And, and that's good too, out? yeah. Like trying to figure that out. Because I think like there's a lot of people who like get riled up about a lot of things with injustices in the world. Yeah. But unless you can kind of 
do something with that desire, like, I mean, it's a good thing to have, to, yeah. like, care about injustice happening. Right. But we can't just stop there. Right, Like, you yeah. have to kind of somehow figure out a way of how can I, you know, do something that... Yeah, the feeling can, isn't in Yeah, there. and it doesn't have to be big either. Mm-hmm. It can be something as small. Because, like, for yeah. me, the way I reconciled that was, like... You know, I, like, when I was growing up, I thought, like, oh, like, because I care so much about this, like, mm-hmm. maybe I'll, like, I don't know, like, be someone, like, hugely influential to, right. like, you know, work in this and, I don't know, like, freedom writers, like, yeah. kind of teacher. Yeah. But I realized, like, I don't have to be like uh-huh. that. Like, yeah. even in my own classroom, if I can kind of just start this culture mm-hmm. of, like, caring and not being racist and, you know, just <laughs> trying to... Like, care and love for people, and, you know, even do my part just as a regular teacher. A regular Asian teacher in, like, a not-as-great school Mm -hmm. to just care for my students and do my best to help them, then I think that's that's doing my part. Yeah. Because not everyone can be in the limelight. Right, yeah. And it's it's okay. Yeah. It's okay not to do something big and huge. Right. And, like, go on, like, this, like, 10-year mission trip working with some kind of organization across the world. Yeah. Like, it's okay to just even live ordinary lives. Like, I think, like, you know, Pastor Sean called it, like, ordinary justice. Right. And I think that's definitely important, too. Mm, Yeah. Because everyone just... We're all, like, pieces of a puzzle just trying to work together. Yeah. So I think... Even with this whole topic of social justice and, I don't know, I was always, like, fascinated and, like, very happy when I heard other Asian Americans were, like, into social justice because I think something as an Asian American that I've been realizing is that Asians don't really get involved with social justice here in America as much. Yeah, or just politics Uh, in general. Yeah, yeah, like... Andrew Yang, like he's yeah. like one of the few politicians that you know that are Asian. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't know. It was. It's just like I feel like there needs to be more from us. Right. Like in the future. Yeah. Because I don't think we can just like stand by in our country anymore. Yeah, we're definitely underrepresented and underrepresenting. Cause, yeah. You know, that's mm-hmm. partially our fault. You yeah. Know, for not yeah. engaging. Yeah. But kind of just to wrap everything up, um, you know, we've talked a lot about Asian American identities, and I've got to know you a lot too, John. Uh, I didn't know a lot of these things that you went through. I mean, it's good to have you back um, here on campus. Um, but just for our, our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Um, I know we do have another episode of Asian American Identity, but this is kind of a different take as we kind of talked a little bit more social justice and um, kind of more societal things that are happening, bigger scale things, um, and this is definitely something that we can kind of, you know, not just discuss, hopefully, but will maybe years from now actually take place, where yeah, we can be involved in it, yeah, like, this is not just something we discuss in a podcast, but it's something actually happening in the world, um, and there's actually being taken from it, but thank you so much, John, for joining us today for this podcast. Thanks for having me. And we'll see you guys next week.